0: Teaching text for today is Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord.
1: It's tote's my fault. Let's read this part together. It'd be great. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Great job, everyone. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us understand the mystery of this moment in your story, uh, the moment where uh, you leave your disciples and the story changes direction uh, to some, in, in significant, important, uh, subtle, beautiful ways. Um, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to each of us this morning. We are longing for your speaking voice, for your embrace we are celebrating the mothers in our midst. Uh, we are also dealing with the reality of life, and so, uh, just help us right now to know um, what you're saying to our church as a whole, to each of us as individuals. This morning, we lift you up uh, as our God, and we say with faith that we want to hear from you, Lord. We need to hear from you. So come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. When when we celebrate the incarnation. Uh, The fancy church word for the reality that that God uh, has come to live among us in the person of Jesus, uh, that He's called Emmanuel, God with us. We have a culture wide celebration. We have Advent and we have Christmas. Uh, When when we celebrate the power of the cross, that Jesus would take on uh, on Himself all of our sin and brokenness, uh, and then the resurrection, uh, that he's made a way, made, made a way through. Uh, he's, he's died on our behalf, taken our sin on himself. Then having dealt with our sin, um, he, he's risen to new life. We have a culture-wide celebration. We have Holy Week and we have Easter. This morning, if you didn't know it already, is Ascension Sunday. Ah, see? Oh, Ascension Sunday. Uh, we we actually don't have a culture wide celebration for Ascension Sunday. It almost never falls on Mother's Day. Total total quinky dink. You guys don't use that for coincidence at your house, huh? Yeah, I'm not going to do that either because I don't. Suddenly saying it in public, I don't like it. Um, there's no culture-wide celebration for, for the ascension, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, it can be really easily overlooked uh, by followers of Jesus as an important part uh, of the story, and I think there's, there could be many reasons for this. Uh, one, the incarnation, right, Jesus coming at Advent and Christmas, powerfully communicates God's nearness, and, and a message we, we profoundly need, that his revelation and love can be known to us, but also that he knows our pain. That he knows the the true struggle of what it is to be a human being. That's that's communicated to us in the incarnation. In in the cross and resurrection, we have this powerful demonstration of God's love. That that salvation is possible for us and, and the world. That death is not the end. The ascension, however, is a moment where Jesus is suddenly absent. Where we're reminded of the unfamiliarity of God. We know what it's like to be human, and the incarnation says, so does God. We know what it's like to face the reality of death, and so so does God. And the good news is that he's made a way, made th- made a way through for us, but we don't know at all what it's like to ascend back to the throne of heaven. <laughs> no category for that. We don't know at all what it would be like to carry God's sovereignty. What does it mean for God to be this powerful being somehow in cr- control of the universe, this loving being, and yet we still wrestle with the dark and the light, the, the, the beauty and the pain, the joy and the agony of, of life. We don't know what it would be like to carry sovereignty of that kind because there's so much in our world that's outside of our control. And there are, there are times, we must be honest, that we, we despise any sense of God's absence, almost like the ascension is something that we can hold against him. You aren't here in the way we really long and want for you to be here. The unfamiliarity of God is a reality that we see when Jesus is no longer with the disciples. He's no longer there to answer a question. He's no longer there to show the way. He's no longer there to say, why don't you throw your nets on the other side when you've come up empty? But the ascension of Jesus is an absolutely crucial part of the story for us. It is, it is important the way Christmas and Easter are important for those of us who follow Jesus, both for the joy and the power that it reminds us that the victory Christ has won means that he's now ascended to the control room of the universe, that he is on the throne in heaven, but also for the mystery and the reminder that we are, we are most fully and not completely in control. There are things that we will not understand. There's timing that we would not choose Things change on this particular day for those first disciples of Jesus. And we need to consider, I think, the implications for them and then the implications for us. They're not simply following Jesus' physical body around. What changes at the moment of the ascension is they start to have to live off the words that they've heard from him. They're they're, they're following his teaching and the the life that he had demonstrated for them. They're they're living off what he taught them. They're going to be filled with his spirit which we know that the Spirit is a comforter, the Spirit is a counselor. That's Pentecost Sunday, that's next week, we're gonna, we're gonna get there. We know that, that they're, gonna, they're, they're, going to, they're going to begin to live in some profound and real sense, similar to how we do, in Jesus' name. They're gonna live in Jesus' name. If you follow the rest of the story of the New Testament, there are many powerful things that happen, and they happen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Healing powerful moments of freeing, rescuing forgiveness. Salvation is experienced. People are baptized in Jesus' name. Prayers are answered. Generosity is, 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 is it, radical generosity is demonstrated and on and on and on. Many of you have had powerful experiences in your life and those experiences have been in Jesus' name. I was thinking of some of them in my, in my own life, things that have happened in my own story in Jesus' name. And, and I know you would have your own list, but I, I've had... Gripping personal fear, real intense anxiety, subside in my life in Jesus' name. I had prayer over my mother one time. We were um, she she was suffering from powerful, uh, uh, profound altitude sickness in the Himalayan mountains. She was so sick that we were our group was worried uh, if we were going to need to f- uh, rush her to, to a doctor. And there were, no, uh, there were no there was really no place to rush her. Um, and after group prayer in Jesus' name, the next morning she was she was totally better, and we were relieved. I, I've stood uh, with my friend uh, in in the intensive care unit, and the doctors he'd been in a coma for seven days, and now hospice had been called. The doctors said, "There's nothing more we can do, um, and we're just going to prepare for this to be the end." Hospice is on the way. We went in, and uh, I stood there, and anointed him with oil, with a friend, and in faith, we just prayed, come forth, like Jesus did for Lazarus, come forth, come forth in Jesus' name. I went outside to call my wife and tell her that, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not going to, like, I was, it's, it's, it's over, and while I was in there, he woke up, while I was on the phone, he woke up, and, and, um, and hit him, the guy who woke up, his wife posted on Facebook, so I'm telling my wife it's over, and she's like, no, Facebook says he just woke up. I'm like... Yeah. I'm jogging back to the hospital, I'm like, I'm just in the courtyard, what happened? (laughs) I've also prayed for my father in Jesus' name. He had a heart attack on a Wednesday night. I sat beside his bed every hour of the next, next days praying in Jesus' name that he would wake back up, and on Sunday he died. Many of you know what it's like to pray for a miracle in Jesus' name and the miracle not to come. A part of my life and work, I've helped to communicate the gospel in in a setting on a particular evening in Jesus' name to speak the message of hope in Jesus, salvation in Jesus, and seen twenty two people in one hour come to know Christ, turn over their hearts and faith to Jesus, and have their lives transformed. I've also seen times where the very Best, most beautiful explanation I've ever heard about of believing in Jesus. The most reasonable, rational argument was absolutely flatly rejected and mocked in Jesus' name. There is absolute power in Jesus' name. If we read the New Testament, the account is there. Many of you have stories that you would say, this is true. I've known the the, the power of Jesus' name. But there are also times, right when you wish Jesus would stay close, that it seems like he's just up and vanished. We need the ascension. (laughs) We need this story because it helps us have an appropriate understanding of the emotional landscape of being human and how that relates to a God who really is at work, really does rescue, really does forgive, really does save, but doesn't always do things like we would understand or maybe we would choose. We need to grapple with the beauty and the power, but also the mystery and the challenge of the ascension. So listen to these these things that Luke mentions as he gets into it. Listen to how Luke describes it. While while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So what do, we, what do we learn from this? What, what are the important details? They are this. Jesus ain't no ghost. Jesus loves broiled fish. And these are the things I want you to write in your spiritual journal. This is the most hotly debated, second most hotly debated uh, vegan passage in the scriptures. So shout out to my vegan friends in the sixth row. Don't look at them. Um, Someone should write a book, and this should be the title it 's not going to be me, it could be you why, what, why does Why does Luke include these details what what is he trying What is he trying to show us? I think Luke is trying to show us what type of resurrection it is that Jesus has experienced, and I think there there's several reasons why that 's really important, but I think he 's trying to show what type of resurrection this is because if Jesus is the firstborn. From among the dead. That's the description that's given him. That actually he's beginning new creation in a significant way. That 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 all the way back in Genesis, creation bursts forth into the into the world. And I, I know there's tons of debate about the reality and the mechanisms that that takes place. But new creation begins at Jesus' resurrection is the claim of the New Testament. So what type of resurrection would it be if it's a resurrection that we are going to share in? First of all, Jesus is not a disembodied spirit. That's actually really important. Jesus is not a ghost. He's, he's going to send a ghost, if you're looking for a weird part of the Christian story. He's not a ghost. He's going to send a ghost. The ghost is going to come, the Holy Ghost, and literally fill us with the spirit of Christ and make possible all the things that he talked about. But when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he's not a disembodied spirit. And that apparently is a very important detail to Luke. And I think should be a very important detail for us. Jesus still has distinguishing marks from his life before. He bears the marks of of his own death. And he does, in this instant, eat fish. I like how N.T. Wright helps us understand this. This is one of the most, you know, renowned, foremost New Testament theologians alive today. Here's what he says. People often think that resurrection simply means life after death or going to heaven But in the Jewish world of the first century, it meant a new embodied life in God's new world. A life after life after death, if you like. But the new body which will be given at the end is not identical to the previous one. In an act of new creation parallel only to the original creation itself, God will make a new type of material no longer subject to death out of the old one. In Jesus' case, of course, this happened right away without his original body decaying so that the new body was actually the the transformation of the old one. For the rest of us whose bodies will decay and whose bones may well be burnt, it will take a complete act of new creation. The new body, and this is the point, will belong in both the dimensions of of God's world in both heaven and earth. What type of resurrection are we talking about? N.T. Wright has spent much of his career trying to, to help uh, correct this often communicated misconception that Christians have about our future hope. We are not looking, I'll say, I'll say this again, we are not looking to be whisked away to a happy spirit world as our final hope. That's not the Christian hope of resurrection, to be whisked away to an eternal choir practice on a cloud as a disembodied spirit. We, we are going to be resurrected in a body. That body is going, to be, is going to be able to be embraced. It is going to be, meals are going to be able to be shared, uh, shared in it. The earth is going to be transformed so that what Jesus taught his disciples to pray will ultimately be answered in our final hope. That, that, and what is that? that? That the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Earth is going to be resurrected. Earth is going to be transformed. So Luke includes these details, and, and they're interesting. Maybe they catch, catch our eye that Jesus is not a ghost and that he's able to share a meal because he's trying to show us what type of resurrection. But I think he's also trying to show us what type of victory that Jesus has won. What, what, what are the implications for this thing that the whole story of the Gospels have been building to? We, we mentioned this many times. You read the, the accounts of Jesus' life, these four biographies. And they cover the, the beginning of his life, they, they, they skip huge swaths, but all four of them slowed down a great degree by the, end of, by the end, the final week of his life, so much attention is paid there. So what are the implications of, of what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection? What is the victory that Jesus has won? This is what Luke says about it. He said to them, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In just a few short descriptions, we begin to see the scope of the victory that Jesus has won through the cross and through the resurrection. We're not going to spend so much time on each of these, but I just want to list them. They're not even on the screen. I'm just going to say them out to you because I want you to see sort of the reach and the width and the depth of the victory that Jesus wins and and the different elements of it that that are mentioned here. First of all, this is a victory that's connected all the way back to the beginning. Jesus mentioned what what was said in the Torah, what was said in the prophets, what was said in the prayer book of Israel. All these things are pointing to something. This has been a part of God's heart and God's plan from the very beginning. Whatever victory Jesus just won, it's connected all the way back to what God has been wanting to do, planning to do, hoping to do, and doing since the very beginning of creation and then especially since the fall. It's a victory that's connected all the way back. It's not just a triumphalist victory. It is a victory that takes into account suffering and death. It is a victory that is, is willing to look honestly at the condition of the world. It is, it is a victory that is willing, to, ask, is willing to, to face all the intricacies, the light, the dark, the joy, and the agony of your experience. It's not asking you to cut off your intellect and come as a, as a smiling person pretending that everything is okay. The cross means that God knows what it is to suffer all the way to the point of death. It's a victory that goes all the way back. It's a victory that takes into account suffering and death. But it's also a victory for forgiveness, it's a victory for forgiveness. What what kind of world is it? What kind of relationship, one to one, or all of us to one another, do we have if there's no forgiveness? If the highest authority in the world, and we're going to see in the ascension, Jesus going back to that place of the highest authority in the world. If the highest authority in the world can say to you, you're forgiven, you're clean, you're healed, None of what you've ever done or will do is going to be held against you in in a final and fundamental way because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's a victory for forgiveness. That means a way of relating to one another has broken into the world where we don't have to consider each other just by our performances or just by our records. It means there's a possibility that even in in their worst, most trapped moments, that we can be set free, that we can be forgiven. But it's also a victory that we can share in. (laughs) It's not just a victory for some other people out there who really stick to the path. It's a victory that moves forward by grace. And so whether you're the thief on the cross and you have nothing to show except desperation, or you're the the, the mother Teresa that's been pouring out her heart for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta for her entire life, all all, all of us have a share in in this victory. It's open to us because it's on the account of who Jesus is. It's a victory that we share, and it's a victory that the world shares, and he's sending them out to the rest of the world. He's like, this is spilling the banks of Israel. This is going to every type of person, every tribe and tongue and nation, every skin color, every socioeconomic group, every class of people, every every language. And it's a victory full of God's spirit. We're not going to, I don't know spoilers for Pentecost, but guys, Holy Spirit, on the way. Here, actually. The scope of the victory of Jesus is staggering. And this description pushes the boundaries of our imagination out to take it in. Back in the Garden of Eden, in the, in the story of Genesis, and all the poetry and imagery there, God had given human beings a tremendous privilege and a calling to have dominion. Now, this is a word in our in our, in our day and age, like to say that God has given you or given, given us authority, right? Maybe we balk at that a little bit. Maybe there's, there's so much unpacking that feels like it needs to be done in relationship to authority in our world in general. But this is, back in the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis, it says that human beings at the crown of creation made in God's image were meant to have dominion, rule, they were meant to steward, they were meant to take care of the resources of the world in a beautiful way that produced good things. God had given Adam and Eve this astounding role to play. We use the English word steward or guardian to describe the role that they were playing, but the word in Hebrew is the word shomer. We've mentioned this a couple of times before, but to be a shomer is to be a legal guardian with a sacred duty, a sacred duty to care for and cultivate what you've been entrusted with and to make the most of it. The rabbis debate this word shomer and, and give each other different situations in which someone will be entrusted with this role as a guardian to, to, to take what you've been given and to, to, to care for it and to make it better, to cultivate its goodness. God says be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. To be a shomer of the world is to care for the world, to represent God in the world, to take the natural resources given by God, time, soil, to make music, to make sound, to make, to, to, make, to make cities, to make gardens. One of my favorite authors, Mark Sayers, he recounts the story of, of, of old rabbis um, getting together and debating what a shomer should do in this situation. He's been entrusted with a basket of apples. I want you to care for this basket of apples as a shomer. To take it, to cultivate it, to nurture it, to make sure that, that good comes from it. And the apples start to go bad before the friend returns. So the rabbis debate what should be done. They go back and they consult the scriptures and they sort of toil with one another in conversation. After much debate and consulting the scriptures, the rabbis decide to turn the apples into applesauce instead of letting them rot. Solid answer. Write that down if you're a shomer and you're ever in that situation. That's what you do, okay? It's been debated. Right? In just a small example, we begin to get the sense of our larger calling as, as, these, as representatives of God, entrusted with, with this Shomer responsibility, entrusted with, with dominion, entrusted as guardians, as stewards. That authority was lost in the fall. That's what happens. It's one of the tragedies in the garden that that authority was, we, we, we stumbled and gave it away. And a huge part of the victory of Jesus is that he has recovered the authority of the Shomer and given it back to us. He has recovered the dominion, recovered the authority, and given it back to us so that we can, in his name, care for the world, for the people in the world, right? Not as, the, not as those over it, but as those entrusted in the, in, the, in the middle of it with our hands dirty and our hearts aching and our prayers being lifted up and, and sweat pouring down and taking care of one another, That's why, that's why Jesus keeps mentioning authority. When he, when this Basically, the same moment happens in, in Matthew 28. And he's, he's giving his disciples their instructions. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Only the one who'd recovered our authority could give it back to us and say, this is how you're supposed to go and move in the world as God's representatives, full of his love, full of this victory that brings forgiveness, that brings mercy, that takes into account the real suffering of the world that's ready to move into those places and not run away from it. Don't just isolate yourself in your safe enclaves of people who think and believe like you. Move out into the world in the way you've been entrusted with dominion and authority to show the love of God, to be his representatives. That's our high calling as a church. Trinity Grace Park Slope and and the church down the street over this way and the church down the street and the church across the river, our calling is to show what God's character and love looks like in the world. To be the showmers. There was a letter written to the church in Ephesus just a few years after this account happened and as the movement of Jesus is is growing up. And sometimes in the epistles, you'll get in just a few short sentences, or in this case, a prayer that's like a commentary on the thing Jesus said. And I want you to notice the role of authority in this, in this prayer, in the, in, this, in the letter to the city church at Ephesus. I, 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 we, we unpacked it last week how much Ephesus has an overlap to New York, to Brooklyn, but, but here it is. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty stretch he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So pause, I know we're almost to to the key words here, but he's saying the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul is praying that you might know that in your inner being by the Spirit. seated him in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the Jesus of our salvation This is the Jesus that we are in union with by faith. And here we see him in this story ascending to the throne room of heaven. We are called to live more and more in his way and to use the authority that we have in his name. In his name. And so that's where I want to to end this morning. Is just considering what does it mean to live in his name. I think Watchman Nee has has a powerful summary of the power of Jesus' name and how it works in the world. He has a, a short book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And listen to this. The power of his name operates in three directions. In our preaching, it is effective for the salvation of people through the remission of their sins and through their cleansing justification and sanctification to God. In our warfare, it is mighty against the satanic powers to bind and bring them into subjection. And as we have already seen in our asking, it is effective toward God. For twice we are told, whatever you shall ask, and twice if you shall ask anything in my name, right, we know what follows it, it shall be done. These are the places, three of them, it's enough for today, right? Three places that we are invited to trust Jesus and and to speak to live in his name, speaking the gospel, speaking good news, that's one of our callings. That's, you're entrusted with authority in Jesus' name to speak good news, all the victory things that I mentioned earlier, the forgiveness, the mercy, the love, the salvation, the freedom that comes in his name. In your own spiritual struggle and our spiritual struggle in the world, we are meant to, to have that struggle in his name and then finally in asking God in, in, in prayer, Let's just move through them very, very quickly. First, in speaking the gospel. I don't know who, who all gets, uh, it might be Francis of Assisi who gets this famous quote, right? Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. You guys know this? Right, the thrust of, that, of that, that, that idea is that you want your life to be full of actions that communicate the good news of Jesus. And that's helpful. But you can't read the New Testament and miss this emphasis. If you're going to speak the gospel at all times, totally use words. Like use, use them, keep using them. They're there. You're going to need them. Use words. That's my quote. Thank you, St. Francis. Of course, our life needs to. There needs to be integrity between our lips and our heart, between what we say and the actions of our body and the schedules of of, of our week. But but we we're called to speak speak forgiveness, speak hope, speak speak love, speak the power of of of, of Jesus. In Jesus' name, that's one of our our high callings as a community. You have been given authority to do that. It's absolutely not just for those who are ordained among us and now have Britney Spears microphones. You're you're called to speak the gospel and the power of it in Jesus' name. The text says, Jesus says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Then he says, you are witnesses. We've mentioned this many times, like Christians across the ages, we take that, you are witnesses. We turn it into prosecutors. (laughs) You're prosecutors in my name. No, you're witnesses. What does that mean? That means if you've tasted mercy, share it. That means if if you've known forgiveness, communicate it. (laughs) It means if you've seen the power of God's love, you can be someone who shares that. You can be someone who speaks the gospel. Let me tell you one of the greatest joys on earth. It's to communicate the gospel of Jesus to someone and to have them respond. Not like, oh, they think like I think now. Not like, oh, our church got a little bit bigger by one. Oh, this person. No, it's to see someone experience the love that has embraced your life. It's to see someone experience the forgiveness and mercy, to be filled with his spirit. It's one of the most beautiful things in the entire world. You know it's part of the inheritance that all of you are meant for? You are meant to have that experience. You are meant to share in that great inheritance of the saints, to be those who are, who are speaking the power of the gospel in Jesus' name and seeing God, God bring fruit from that. Don't shortchange yourself the opportunity of, of, of representing that in the world. We speak the gospel. And then second, we, we live in Jesus' name in our spiritual struggle. Do you know what it is to fight in Jesus' name? Right, And this is not to, to, fight, to fight others. This is to fight our own selfishness. This is to fight back against the brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. Uh, right, There's dramatic examples of, of, this, of this fighting. I have a few friends. I don't know if my time is, is going to come. I, you know, it's not, not something I'm looking forward to, but I've had a few friends who've been called in in situations where there was suspicion of someone being overtaken by demonic activity. I've, I've listened to those friends, trembling, ready for the story to end, um, as they talked about the power that was present in Jesus' name to see someone who was actually really oppressed, really beyond their own control, experience freedom as people prayed over to them and laid hands on them in Jesus' name. Those are dramatic examples, but there's more everyday examples for all of us. And that is when we fight temptation in Jesus' name right when the lies of our mind say this thing is going to be your comfort this thing is going to be your escape this is the thing that you're entitled to and we realize that that's just the voice of selfishness the voice of sin speaking and we speak back to ourselves right we have to learn to speak the hope of the gospel to our own consciousness at times and to say no no there's a better promise from God i'm going to 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 take this thought captive and not let it dominate me and i'm going to instead speak a promise of the gospel in jesus name that i don't have to be anxious that, 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 that pursuing right this, this this sexual appetite outside of of god 's design is not going to bring fulfillment it 's going to bring pain right and so we push back in everyday ways against our own temptation in jesus' name we speak in jesus' name but we 're not just fighting our an internal battle that 's entirely personal we also have enduring examples of the church pushing back in jesus name and, and, so, and, and there's many ways that that, that that our culture is right in its accusation that we've fallen down on the job, but one of our callings as a community is to push back in Jesus' name against against brokenness in systemic ways, against racism. The church, should, it, it, we're in a kingdom that says every tribe and tongue and nation, every culture is going to be represented in the kingdom of God. We, we should be the most diverse community in the world, as opposed to the most segregated day of the week being Sunday. Shame on us. We are called to push back against that brokenness. In Jesus' name, right, we, we, we know like the original sin of America, right, we're still, we're still dealing with it in such a profound way, the, the agony and the atrocities of what slavery has been. It's our, it's our job to link arms as a church community and in Jesus' name say, no, we're walking back in the opposite direction and, 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 and we're humbling ourselves and we're asking for mercy and we're learning to look one another in the eyes and be different. We're pushing back against racism. We're pushing back against the stronghold of pornography makes more money than the pharmaceutical industry in our culture. What? What's going on? The exploitation of certain human beings and the grotesqueness of it makes more money than medicine. We're called to push back against that in the name of Jesus the death of the innocent, the cycles of poverty in our city, right? We go on and on. We have dramatic examples of people being freed from the demonic in Jesus' name. We have everyday examples of us fighting our own selfishness in Jesus' name by the power of his spirit. And then we have enduring examples where the church binds together. We we take slow marches forward saying, it can't be this way anymore. Let's see what Jesus' victory looks like implemented in this, this scope of our world. We live in Jesus' name in our spiritual struggle. And the last thing is covering, seeping down through all of this, the relational heart that we live in Jesus' name in our prayer. How do you get to know someone? Talk and listen. Talk and listen. Sit with them. How do you get to know God? Talk and listen. The, the word, the logos, has been revealed to us in Jesus. Jesus the word of God, what we do is we respond to that and that initiates a relationship of conversation. We talk and we listen, we pray. We learn to pray in Jesus' name. And of course, this is not the grotesque, you know, far extremes of the prosperity gospel that whatever you say in Jesus' name like a magic potion becomes yours. This is learning to pray in his name means learning to pray according to his character, it, mean, it means learning to, to know as you are known, to know that you are known, and to begin to pray out of your heart in honesty, right? So many people who will tell you that they have a life of prayer will say, So many times my prayers change just by praying. My perspective of what I was even asking for, my outlook on the, on the situation was altered through the relational nature of conversation with God. We pray in Jesus' name, we pray in Jesus' character. We pray with faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We don't have a culture-wide celebration for the ascension. It's a fluke that it fell on Mother's Day, but we love you mothers. The ascension means that Jesus has risen from the dead, has won a substantial victory, and sits in the throne room of heaven. It certainly does not mean that everything is okay now. Or that all is right in the world. But it does mean that we are united to that Jesus who has won a victory. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then T. Wright, one more time, says, the kingdom will come as the church, energized by the Spirit, goes into the world, vulnerable, suffering. Praising, praying, misunderstood, misjudged, vindicated, celebrating, always, as Paul puts it in one of his letters, bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus so that, in the na- so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest. What does that mean for us? We've just looked at three. We speak in his name, we speak the message of hope in Jesus, we speak in his name, we fight back against evil. Evil in ourselves and evil in our world, and we do it in his name and in his way right the message and the method have to match jesus right this is why we we can't just we can't just be like you know the the angry vicious selfish activist for good we, the method and the message have to match we fight back against evil in ourselves and evil in the world in his name and then we In all the places that we find ourselves, the good, the bad, the joyful, the mysterious, the peaceful, the agonizing, the celebratory, and the awful, we pray in his name. And in that conversation, our hearts become more like him. The ascension is an invitation to live in the name of Jesus and by his way. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we honor you, that you humbled yourself and became a part of our story all the way, that ultimately it is your story. We thank you that you are willing to to be betrayed and go to the cross on our behalf. We thank you that after three days you rose from the dead and began the new creation. We thank you for the ascension. And even though we don't understand at times why you might seem absent, that you are a God who is sovereign, that you are a God who is inviting us to live in your name, and I pray by the power of your spirit that you would help us to do that. I pray you would speak to each person individually in the ways they are meant to respond today. Help us have ears not just to hear, but to respond in faith to what you're speaking to us. In Christ's name, amen.